now it's time to introduce our second guest, Dr. Caroline McGrory. Caroline is also a chartered accountant. She is the assistant professor of accounting at the Dublin City University and also currently a Fulbright scholar at Boston College. Um, she was selected by the Irish Institute of Chartered Accountants as a chartered young star last year. And she's also one of my favorite things to be, which is a, a One Young World ambassador. Um, she spent eight years lecturing at the Princess Nora University in Saudi Arabia, where she's actually lived, as I understand, for a majority of the time as well, and spent her time really working on women's education um, and empowerment of women in Saudi Arabia. Princess Nora is actually the biggest university um, of females only in the world. So really impressive and exciting to have you here, Caroline. I think it goes without saying that your work is really, really inspirational and it's not an easy thing to integrate all these different facets of your life. So I'm going to hand over to you to, to kick us off and, and explain how you've managed to really do that. Thank you so much, Mandy. And I'd just like to start by saying thank you to Chartered Accountants Worldwide for inviting me to be part of this panel discussion today. I think the topic of diversity, equality and inclusion is so, so important. And it's great to see the attention that it is getting, not only from a business perspective in recent years, but also in our own personal lives as well. And when you hear um, the discussion that Vincent has just um, had with Mandy, I just think it's incredible to see the amazing work that's been done in the field. So just to, I suppose, draw on some of my own experiences of, um, of diversity, equality and inclusion. And, and as you mentioned, I'll start off by my experiences in Saudi Arabia. So I have had the privilege of working in Saudi Arabia for um, eight years, and um, my role was primarily centered around the education of Saudi women. And I suppose what I got to experience firsthand is the, the value of education and the vehicle that it actually gives women, not only from a perspective of entering the workplace, but much more so than that as well, from a perspective of social inclusion. And many of you may be aware that Saudi Arabia is a country that is ranked very low in the gender equality rankings. So it is currently stands at 147 out of 156 countries, and it equally has very low labor force participation rates for women. It currently stands at around 33%. Now, when you compare that to other high-income countries, those um, numbers are quite low. So again, to be in a role where you're actually involved in education Saudi women, where you can really make a difference here, it really was such a privilege. But I'd equally like to um, highlight the fact that since 2016, the Saudi government have actually introduced a number of government-backed initiatives, which are all centered around the empowerment and the inclusion of Saudi women. And again, when you have government-backed initiatives like that, you really start to see the opportunities open up. And for um, to be there at a time, um, both before these initiatives came in and after, you really see the changes that can take place. So bringing it back to education again and looking at our role there as a, as a university and educating people in the third level sector, really what we were um, trying to do was not only ensure that all our graduates were leaving our programs having both the technical and the soft skills that they need to be effective in the workplace, but it was equally to ensure that they develop the life skills that they need. Because again, if you look at the history of the country, education of women, this is all very, very new. And as I said, labor force participation, it's all very new. So there's a host of skills that uh, really needs to be developed. And we ran many different initiatives alongside, again, our main programs. And one that got a lot of attention over the last number of years was one centered around the financial literacy and um, development and um, and again it was really about 
trying to develop life skills that would be useful to our students. The feedback was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, many of um, students came back and said, you know, it wasn't only really beneficial to have developed these skills from a, prof from a professional perspective, but equally um, for their personal lives. And historically, they said it wouldn't really been a conversation that they would have been having in their own homes about financial decision making, but they felt much more empowered to be able to do so because of the skills that they had developed as part of our programs. So I think, you know, when you look at the overall um, diversity and inclusion agenda, um, initiatives like that can really, really help drive forward change. If I bring that back then to an example much closer to home and over the last academic year, and you've just saw the video of an initiative that was run in collaboration with the Irish Finbis Task Force, that was all centred around ensuring that our Masters of Accounting students had exposure to these really important topics. And one of the workshops was completely centred around diversity and inclusion. And in this particular workshop, um, we designed it in such a way whereby we had a guest speaker come in, really, really inspirational person, Therese Coveney is her name, who is the founder of the Together Academy. And this particular organisation was set up to help adults with Down syndrome develop the skills that they need in order to enter the workplace. That particular session then was followed by an interactive work and um, interactive workshop by the FINBIS and um, task force. And really what the interactive workforce did then was it allowed the students to, I suppose, get exposure to how diversity and inclusion plays out in a work setting. Again, the feedback from this from the students was absolutely phenomenal. Them coming saying that, you know, it really wasn't something that they had necessarily considered from a perspective of their career as an accountant. Some of them saying that they um, they got so much from the session that they actually um, are now doing their thesis research on the topic of diversity and inclusion. For me, the significance of this is as an educator, we um, are involved in the education of the next generation of accountants and business leaders. And to be able to expose them to topics like diversity and inclusion and to see how they engage with that, I think that that is just so positive for the profession and for business going forward and for, for people individually. And I think that education has such an important role to play. The other point that I just want to make, and it relates to the accountancy profession, I think we are incredibly lucky to be part of a profession that really has uh, diversity, equality and inclusion at the heart of its strategic priorities. And um, if I just look at my own professional body, Chartered Accountants Ireland, and again, focusing in on gender diversity, they recently released statistics um, outlining that 42% of members are female and 47% of students are female. And I think for a profession that has historically been male dominated, if you look at the, pro the progress over time, that is a real inspiration to other professions and other sectors as well. And then just to link in um, just on my last point uh, about the work I'm currently doing, as Mandy mentioned, I'm currently a Fulbright Scholar at Boston College, where I'm looking at the role of the accountant in cybersecurity. Again, cybersecurity is a male-dominated um, sector at the minute. Um, globally, women only hold 25% of the roles in cybersecurity. So this particular sector is not only calling for more women to get involved, but it's equally calling for diversity of skills. And as a result, as an accountant, I have a place on that cybersecurity's master's program. So again, I suppose overall, my experiences, and again, pulling in the experiences from Saudi Arabia in my role as an educator here in Ireland, and equally my most recent role as a Fulbright Scholar in Boston College, the value of embedding 
diversity, equality and inclusion across all different sectors and all of the different, um, I suppose, things that um, as accountants that we get involved in or for anybody with any background, I think there um, there is huge value and it um, plays huge dividends. Thanks so much, Caroline. That was all very, very interesting um, and meaningful perspective that you've given so I think my next question actually touches on on something that you that you raised in the in the statistics towards the end where you know you've spoken about how there's so much more diversity in the profession which is really great and I think across the board people really are starting to see the value of diversity but inclusion often feels like that one step further or at least true inclusion so I guess my question to you today is what could business do to really support women and ensure that they are truly included in the workplace and that they are remunerated on the, on the value and, and merit that they add? Because I think that's often still a missing piece. And then how are women supported as well for the, the lifespan of their career? Because I think we see a lot of women, unfortunately, leaving the workplace when they, when they enter a phase like becoming a parent. So what do you think business can do better to, to kind of keep them in at that stage? Absolutely, Mandy. I think it's a really important conversation and it's this piece around inclusion. There's been a lot of focus on diversity, but inclusion, while a related concept, is um, it is separate and it is something that um, it does need to get um, attention. So for me, I suppose some very practical steps around this, and it's something that is getting a lot of attention, is gender pay gap reporting. Um, I think the accounting profession do really well in this area, and a lot of the um, reporting in this area is led by the big four accountancy firms. But I would say for organizations that are not currently engaging in um, gender pay reporting, that this is something that is coming down the line from a perspective of mandatory reporting. And I think if you really want women to feel rewarded and included in an organization, and you mentioned their remuneration is something that's really important, and there's been a lot um, of exposure of this over the last number of years. For organizations, as I said, that are not reporting on this, they should even do so internally so that if there are any gaps, that they can identify them and take corrective action if necessary. The other point um, that I think, and again, it's a very practical point, is um, fostering um, a culture of inclusion within organizations. And I think this absolutely can be led from the top. And there are many practical ways to do this. But my experience of it is, is that you have to talk to the people in your organization and it's getting direct feedback from people to see where the issues are because without that feedback and again it can come in many different forms it can be through um, surveys it can be through one-on-one -on -one conversations with people but it's really trying to get to the heart of where the issues are in organizations and um, I saw a very interesting link on the Chartered Accountants Ireland um, website recently whereby, whereby they highlighted that some of the challenges for employers around putting I suppose include there's a lot of talk about inclusion, but actually putting that into action is, um, um, and some of the challenges they highlighted are that it's not considered a business priority. And um, another issue is that there are inadequate resources, and that can be financially, but equally the expertise that are within organizations to properly um, to properly deal with this um, concept. So I think, again, these um, particular, you know, and they're just two points that I think are really important. Coming to your second point around, you know, the lifespan of somebody's career and in particular you see um, women maybe leaving um, their careers at different points and maybe it is to have a family or and there can be multiple different reasons why, why people um, may um, leave their career. But again, 
there's a lot that can be done here. And interestingly, just in the last couple of days, I read um, an Irish Times article. And again, it's applicable um, across jurisdictions. And some of the points that were made there, the first one being um, fostering or uh, supporting flexible working. And while this has become a real topic of conversation since the onset of the pandemic, um, challenge, uh, the challenges of balance in work and home life existed long before the pandemic. And flexible working now has really shown that, you know, where that is in place and where employers can facilitate that, that it can really go a long way to um, to helping people stay um, and helping women in particular stay within their jobs. A second point is where if people leave their um, jobs for, and it can be for a host of different reasons, that if they um, decide to come back, that um, that there isn't any um suppose barriers to their career progression and in order for that to happen they need to be supported both personally and professionally and again it's about having those individual conversations with people to see where um, support can be given and the last point I would make on this and I find this really really interesting um, as regards the research on this is the importance of a sense of belonging within an organisation and again it came up in this Irish Times article but I equally have seen Deloitte um, write reports about this and in the Deloitte uh, report they surveyed number of organizations and um, outlined that 79% of organizations realize that a sense of belonging is absolutely critical to the success of an organization and equally to retaining talent. Um, however, only 17% of organizations have the proper structures in place. And equally, what came out of that um, was that some of the issues were around, again, if you're trying to attract talent into an organization, um, some issues were around using inclusive language. And uh, some of the job advertisements would have used more male orientated language. And again, it's not that it's going to put all women off um, applying for certain roles, but it may put some off. And again, there's a, a there's a huge body of research. And again, if anybody wants to look into it further, it's all about gender coding. But um, as I said, what came out of that for me is that a lot of the time job advertisements, it's your first point of contact with um, people. And if you want to attract the best talent into an organization, and especially for women, if they're thinking about um, changing careers or if they uh, want to progress careers, that can be something that um, organizations may need to look at. Thanks so much, Caroline. I think that was a really in-depth um, answer and I'll be surprised if we don't see a lot of hashtags and, and sharing of that because really practical tips that I think people can implement in their companies or, or take back to their leaders to discuss. So thank you so much.